Big Will from Heavy Hole Podcast, and I'm here with none other than Ian Coney's my loyal co-host. Ian, how are you? Welcome back to the show. Doing great. Happy to be here as always. Thanks for uh, giving me the ring, Will. Oh, <laughs> yeah, like Lord, like Lord of the Rings, man. It's yours now, man. It's it's your it's your curse now, man. The show is yours to run with. No, um, uh, I'm I'm still cursed at, at the at the helm of this this cursed ghost ship, the Heavy Hole Podcast. Shout out to Tom and Justin behind the scenes every week uh, on the um the production and all that sort of stuff, and all of the other uh, uh, loyal co-hosts out there, man. Um, Ian, it's been a while since I had you back, man. But but this is your triumphant return, man. I uh, I did happen to see you over there. At the uh, Broadway, you you ascended the stairs at the Broadway in Brooklyn, as as did I, uh, to to venture into that death metal show with Anthropophagus, um, and Bludgeoner, uh, and and of course Exsanguinated. We were there, and um, uh, Festergore from Staten Island, Staten Island's best. So, uh, um, uh, quickly, I'm not going to ask you about the Exsanguinated thing. That would be self indulgent, man. But I want to get you, I want to get your your fix on the other bands. Yeah, no, that's fair. I understand that that like uh, preface, but I'll start actually by ignoring that and saying you guys were fucking awesome. It was the first time that I heard you guys had a really great time uh, watching you. It definitely won't be the last time I'm checking you guys out. So anybody else out there, uh, if you see uh, Will's band headed headed to a you know a mountaintop near you, just like the upstairs at Broadway, please uh, make the trek up the stairs because they're worth it. Um, I, I paid Ian to to say that I'm handing him. Yeah. I mean, I'm literally he's I'm literally opening a window to show him my Venmo right now. I'm just I don't even have yeah. Venmo. I still use PayPal because I'm middle aged. You're but, delivering. I think you're delivering one of the big oversized checks for that one. You know, because yeah, that yeah. was just such a good pitch for you guys. So. Yeah, the publisher's clearinghouse check. Um, check <laughs> check for us with a montage of Exsanguinated on tour. Right, Exsanguinated is literally on the road right now as this episode is being uploaded. Look for us on social media across the Midwest and down south and coming back home um by way of pittsburgh at the shred said last day but but and we got a long island date popping off at the end of that ian i'm sorry for this wwe like uh promo drop let's talk about the other bands that played yeah yeah no no you gotta cut one you gotta cut a promo so um no i i thought uh all bands are great uh fester gore actually that was my first time um uh checking them out or or hearing from them and then i i was headed out mainly for you and then uh the last band on the on the bill there the anthro i think i'm saying it right anthropophagus or pophagus i don't i don't really know but um but they were great too i mean that was uh you know i actually said to my buddy after it like they kind of reminded me and i think it's mostly just from like looking at the gear that they're playing with and stuff almost of like horrendous out of philly where it's like got this um I don't know. It's like not superly distorted or anything. Like I feel like it's just a, a pretty organic sound. And then they kind of try to let their their riffage do the talking for them more so than any kind of like tonality element or anything. I had a fun time watching them. Um, the whole night was was a blast. So um, I would definitely say though that you guys were what I was like. Oh wow, they were a fucking wall of sound that that hit me in the face in a great way. So uh, I was pumped on you and the last guys more than anybody else. Uh, thank you, man. And, 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 uh, yeah, it was great, great, uh, to be there with the Anthropophagus and, and, uh, Fester Gore. Fester Gore, we did a whole episode if people want to know about Fester Gore, a young band from Staten Island creeping on the come up. Um, and, uh, Bludgeoner, I think it was their first show, young band. Um, shout out to Mike. I, I, I know one of those guys from back in the day, kind of glad to see him active with this band and looking to see what they do, man. Looking to see what, what they're going to do with their time out there, man. Bludgeoner was Bludgeoner the one. Cause I think I came in maybe a song or two into their set 
they kicked it off and the vocalist had like the sledgehammer at the end right yeah like he he was he was holding that guy for the last tune and that that was a fun time so bold move bold yeah. move sledgehammer yeah. opening up the sledgehammer man i'm glad the landlord wasn't watching could have <laughs> <For sure. laughs> shut the place down um yeah, no, uh, so a lot, a lot of shit to watch out for there, man. Anthropophagy, I brought the record, I brought the vinyl of their album, listening to it while I was doing a little cleaning around the house, doing chores, listening to the record. They do a thing where the vocalist is is kind of guttural, but he pronounces the words, so he could, and they, it, uh, scary lyrics, disturbingly scary lyrics, kind of like, like almost like an impetigo vibe in that sense, where the vocals are this guttural, pronounced, but almost like serial killer seventies exploitation. Like there was, there was some of the things he was saying. He had, he had bars. I'm just gonna leave it at that, man. Um, that's that's really. All. I gotta, I gotta dig a little deeper than myself. Uh, I gotta see what he was, uh, you know, the the content that he was pushing um, through those some of those gutturals, as you noted. I'll take a listen again. Disturbing bars. I'll say this for death metal lyrics. Anthropophagus of uh, as far as the new newer younger crop of death metal bands goes, I think. Um, not afraid to hold back lyrically and the, tradi- the tradition of death metal. I'll say that. Um, now, pushing, pushing on. Um, uh, it's it's we're it's we're you know we're we're timing things a little funny. We're 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 pre you know preloading episodes and stuff because I'm going on tour. It's Memorial Day weekend. You got any big plans over there? What, what's going on, man? So my biggest plan right now is that my wife just took all three of my kids out of the house to go to a kid's birthday party. So right now, like I have a home without children in it. That is those moments are few, few and far between. So I'm enjoying just the next two hours or so. I'm supposed to go to that said party after this. And it might be one of those things where I pretend this ran like four hours, you know, Okay. and we'll see. We'll see. But that's it. And then, uh, you know, another kid's birthday party tomorrow. So just doing a bunch of dad duty shit. Um, how about you though? Anything fun? Why you're on tour right now? You just said right, like you're. <laughs> yeah, in the in the in in the time and space uh, mythology of Heavy Hole Podcast, there's actually an extra three hours of content we had to cut out of this episode that Ian recorded with me, and I'm on tour and recording a podcast in my office at the same time. This is this is a time bending <laughs> episode. This is like the again quantum leaping. In and out, quantum leap coming up a lot. Uh, I appreciate that you're spending that time, that me time, well, not with just not with you, but with with the listeners of Heavy Hole Podcast and with me. Um, another person I'm glad you're spending the time with. Another person I'm glad made a triumphant return. Uh, Mark from Sugar Tooth, man. We caught up with Mark from Sugar Tooth. Um, uh, classic. Uh, I'm just gonna say hard rock veering on heavy metal band. Uh, from the '90s, who's been through their own series of tribulations, uh, trials and tribulations in, in the in the uh, music industry, um, and has now made a triumphant return. I was able to arrange a interview with Mark Hutner, a uh, longtime singer and guitarist of Sugar Tooth, and big shout out to Josh Blum, their bass player, who also was uh, in correspondence with me trying to arrange this for a while. Man, this is one of those kind of bucket list interviews for me. I was following the band back in the '90s from the. I'll, I'll well, you know what? I'll let the interview do the talking, man. Uh, Ian, let's drop this.
This is Big Will from Heavy Hole Podcast, and I'm here with Mark Hutner, uh, longtime guitarist and singer of the band Sugartooth. Uh, thank you very much for your time, Mark. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we appreciate it, man. And as we're going to get into, you guys are back uh, after an extended hiatus with Volume 3, uh, your, your appropriately titled third album. You've released several singles and videos. We're going to get into all that, but as the listeners know, I like to get into a little bit of your background. Um, so we're going to go to the 90s and further. My opening question, are you from a musical family? Anyone in your background that got you into playing an instrument or steered you into rock music in general? Um, I, I'm not from a, 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 like a classically defined musical family, but um, we uh, there was music you know throughout the house all the time. My mom was Mexican and... Um, and my father um, was a fancied himself a bit of a, a, a drummer, but but he didn't have drums. But he was like you know pounding on tables, and he strummed the acoustic guitars. And my parents would do duets of some like you know as, as kids would be mostly like romantic uh, Mexican folk songs and you know really beautiful things. Um, and they would have parties when, when we, my sister and I were kids and there would be musicians, uh, you know, playing, drinking tequila out on the lawn until four in the morning and playing. So it was, it was around and it was a, it was a sound, you know, there was a soundtrack to my life, even though there were, it wasn't a, uh, um, you know, formal lessons for most of it. Okay. When, when do you get into the act and start playing an instrument uh, or was it just like so natural? It's from a young age. Like what, it seems like a very organic thing. Uh, yeah, well, I, I uh, you know, being uh, more of a, a, a spectator uh, of music um, and and coming into my own with my, you know, when I when I first my my the first piece of vinyl that I bought on my own, which sort of, you know, I didn't I didn't inherit it from my sister or something, you know, I went out and I bought and I'm not and I still don't quite remember why this was the record I picked of all because I was so entranced by every you know, back in the day, it was just vinyl um, with all the album covers. And then, you know, which which one do you get? Do you get the scary one? The, the cool, uh, well, who knows? But I, I ended up picking Queen the Game and um, you know, put it on. The stuff that came out of the speakers was just like, you know, what is this? I've never heard anything like it. And, and the tactile experience of holding it and reading the liner notes and the lyrics and the pictures and that whole thing just like came to life and, and, and animated my being in a way I hadn't experienced before. And then, um, so I knew I was a fan of music and I would get daydreaming lost in the songs and, and, and on all that. And then, um, like I said, my, my, um, my, my, there were guitars laying, acoustic guitars laying around laying guitars. And, uh, I would, uh, I decided to play one and my, you know a and d and my dad was kind of showed me some of the basic chords and um and then they they encouraged me to take lessons so i i but i also love drums so i started on drums and guitar at the same time you know not particularly good at either one but it was a it was exciting it was really the only thing in my life that, that uh interested me as a kid i i wasn't into sports and uh, not particularly athletic and and not, I was not so great at school and I was a daydreamer. But then when I discovered music, uh, again, even though it wasn't good, it it just sucked me in. Okay. And you're originally from Los Angeles? Yeah, the suburbs of Los Angeles, yes. 
Okay, and so what I know of Sugartooth is that the origins of the band are, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but kind of like a network of musicians and, and friends that were gigging musicians in Los Angeles in the early 90s. Um, you know, I've heard from other interviews, there was a band called She Died, and there was a band called Hard Comfort, and at one point you kind of, that's that's maybe where you hooked up with Josh Blum of, uh, uh, initially? Yeah, you know, uh, so as we, as I got a little bit older in uh, in high school, we start, again, sort of being not the jock, not the, the kind of, I gravitated towards anyone that looked like they were into music. And there was a kid in my high school who looked like um, Robert Smith from The Cure, like, <laughs> you know, white face, lipstick, and, 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 and I thought, okay, this guy's a freak uh let's talk and uh he ended up being a drummer and uh, we we started a band it was you know it was not good it was hard comfort it was not good and but it was it was the beginning and um we were trying to be a bit of like a, a 70s trios like grand funk or uh, or something along those lines a lot a lot of like guitar soloing and drum solo like that stuff but it's how i cut my chops and uh, we gigged around and, you know, trying our hand at the pay to play and all the and finding our way into cooler, more, you know, off grid clubs and kind of found our way into the music scene um, of that in Los Angeles, other than that wasn't hair metal, because that was certainly dominant at the time. But there was a there was a another, another side that was um, punk, um, you know, like. Um, it was it was kind of past the early LA punk stuff, so it was it was more like, um, the, like the first Jane's Addiction album, the first Chili Pepper record or two. It was sort of that era. So there was an underground scene of really vibrant, cool left of center music, and we were so, sort of in that. And at the same time, this other band, She Died, were were going, and and they were effectively that She Died was effectively Sugartooth with a different singer. Um, and eventually they realized he couldn't sing and they had kicked him out and they were like, what do we do now? And there was a female that I had dated who was now dating somebody's the brother and, and she died of somebody and she connected us. And um, so although she died in hard comfort, were on the scene, the L.A. circuit together and we probably shared bills. We were not really acquaintances. Um, and so when the call came, it was a bit out of the blue for me and, um, and I never auditioned and never done anything like that before. So it was like, all right, let's, let's see what this is. And, uh, it worked and it, it rapidly took on a life of its own. And here I am 78 years later, still talking <laughs> about it. <laughs> it. It's, I mean, I, me, per, you know, I'm, I, I'm Long Island my whole life. I've, you know, I've been to Los Angeles a few times, but you know, I don't, I don't know. Los Angeles gigging as a musician, especially you know late eighties, early nineties. That sounds like a hard racket. It's you know people have this maybe uh, stereotype of of it being you know the um kind of like the big game you know out there, and you you know you get chewed up and spit out so to speak, and that sort of thing. You, you mentioned pay to play shows and that sort of thing. Uh, like, do you have any recollection of that? Or, you know, am I off base with that? Yeah, I mean it was. It was when we first started, it was pay to play, you know, because we didn't, what, what, where do you even start? Well, you call the whiskey a go go and you get someone that they return your call, like, holy shit, how do I get a gig? And like, well, you buy a hundred dollars worth of tickets and it's on to you to sell them. And okay. 
So that's kind of how we started. Yeah. And that was really deflating and and mysterious and and really just like, okay, well, this is this can't be how it all how it all works. Um, but then you slowly then you find this cool club or this record store that there was a you know in the in the San Fernando Valley there was a record store called Bebop Records and they would have after hour shows and and you kind of you you find a place and and once once we fell into the, the world that wasn't pay to play and it wasn't glam rock it was absolutely amazing it was completely vibrant and super exciting and edgy and you know and punk and metal and you know uh and really exciting. And, and the major labels were not interested in any of that stuff. She didn't have to worry about being chewed up or spat out because they didn't give a shit. It wasn't until Nirvana that they gave a shit. And before that, you know, you could just play these cool ideas. We would, like, you know, I probably said it ad nauseum at this point, but we were on the same bills as White Zombie and Rage Against the Machine and, you know, these all these bands we were we were all doing the same club circuits and, and friends and they were cross-pollinating band members and then nirvana hit and it was literally and it's a cliche you probably heard it a million people say it over the years but sunset boulevard used to look seven days a week used to look like mardi gras and it was hair metal and girls and spandex and guys in spandex and every band passing out flyers and everybody's drunk and it was like spread out you know spread out on the street and the sidewalks it was complete chaos and then nirvana hits on a friday say and monday it's a ghost town mm. there's nobody out on sunset strip all the bands is like it was unbelievable how the scene changed in the blink of an eye and uh we were we rode that wave fortunately or unfortunately i don't know but that was the wave that you know the labels came in and gobbled all the bands up and we were part of that yeah, yeah, and I, I've heard you speak to that Qu quickly. I I do shout out my research. Um, the CMS Network YouTube channel and John da J O H N D A L Y YouTube channel, uh, who also yeah. does JohnDailyBooks.com, beat me to the chase. They, 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 there's other interviews out there. I credit my research. Um, so that's where I get some of this stuff from. And uh, you. You've 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 talked about um, your self-titled 1994 album Geffen Records, right? I think that's what you're, what you're talking about. We talk about the labels coming and grabbing all these bands up. Um, could, now, was it like a was it like a you know love you today and and you know forget about you tomorrow type of thing? Were you like really sweetened up and you had people talking in your ear and then like all of a sudden things drop out? Like how you know was it was it that quick the way you're describing um, Nirvana taking glam metal out? Yeah, uh, it's a cautionary tale, Will. Uh, no, it's uh, like, you know, it happened so quickly. We we were sugar, you know, I auditioned for the, from She Died, you know, got the job. It became Sugar Tooth. We recorded five, six song demo, something like that. Our lawyer sent it around within a month or two. All of a sudden there was a feeding frenzy. Um, labels were flying out. We were being courted, you know, the classic scenario and and do you go with the person that writes the biggest check do you go with a and r person that you think actually gets your music and somewhere in the middle is the answer and you know it's the nature of that business if your song takes off like um, smells like teen spirit you're great and if it doesn't well you might get a second single you might not and i think most of the bands unfortunately fell into that category so many amazing bands but 
but some did go on to obviously tool continued to do very well rage certainly continued to do very well um but yeah we were we were you know one of the reasons the sugar tooth is back together is because we were part of a documentary that was released a couple of years ago on exactly this subject and um an unfortunate subject of bands being just demolished because of the the highs and lows of the major label system. Um, and for the listeners, that's uh, Underground Inc., The Rise and Fall of Alternative Rock is the documentary, right? Sure is. It sure is, yes. Yeah. yeah. I, I know uh, Sean from White Zombie is also in it. Um, there's it, it's, it, it's, it's definitely worth checking out for the listeners. And like, like you said, that kind of was... Um, I don't want to jump ahead too much, but you said that was that was maybe one of the sparks that got you back together for this volume three album. It was. I mean, we were all friends. You know, our our drummer, original drummer, and it was the drummer on the for earlier two records is Joey C, Joey Castillo, and he's gone on to be in Queens of the Stone Age and Danzig and the Bronx, Circle Jerk. I mean, he is just a legend and very hard shoes to fill, I might say. Um but we're all still friends. And Josh and I, after Sugar Tooth, the second record, we did some other stuff. And we, but we're still best of friends. And I was, it was during COVID. I live in Manhattan now. And um, obviously a rough time for the entire world. And, and, uh, but my son had gone to sleep. My wife was asleep. I was probably sitting there with a whiskey or something. And I thought, oh, the movie's out. Let me watch it. I don't think I've ever been in a movie before. So I watched it. And, um, I thought it was really, um, it was interesting. And it's a story I know well, you know, the cautionary tale that I joked about a moment ago, but it's every band's story. And, you know, minus White Zombie that obviously did well and and Quicksand is still a band and uh, and Clutch. And Clutch, I think, was the band that really sort of like, wait a second, that's the way to do it. My story, our story, and many of the band stories that you just imploded, and that's so pathetic and, un, you know, like, wait a second, I didn't, I didn't start writing songs uh, or, or fall in love with music with the dream of being on MTV. MTV didn't even exist back then. There was like, so like, I became a musician because it's what my soul craved. And I walked away from it because the commerce of it failed. And I watched this movie and I thought, no. And, uh, wait a second, we're all friends and we're all still alive and we're all stay, still playing musician. I, I got on the phone, I texted Joey, our drummer, I texted Josh, bass player. I said, let's do another record. Let's, we'll pay for it ourselves. We'll put it out ourselves. No managers, no labels, no publishers, no lawyer, nobody breathing down our necks and not a care in the fucking world if there's a radio single. I don't give a shit about a radio. I never cared about a radio single until I was in a band that needed a radio single to pay the rent. You know, so let's just write songs. I have no, like, let's see what comes out. And everybody signed on. And the songs came so easily and so quickly. And there was so much anger and so much piss and vinegar in me. And um, the songwriter, in me had been dormant for a very long time, decades. And here I am as a father and watching the political climate and the, the, the COVID and my mother died of COVID and my friends were dying of COVID. And I'm looking out my Manhattan window and I'm watching bodies being wheeled out uh, on an hourly basis. And I thought I had a lot to fucking say. And um, in a way I never had, I didn't have that sort of life experience as a, as a you know, 21 year old in sugar tooth. And um, so the lyrics just poured out of me with, with uh, you know, a, a, a real like a, 
you know, they were real. It was just just piss and vinegar is the best way I could put it. And the songs came out. We we had written 20 songs like almost overnight, pared it down to 12 for the record. And uh, you know, what 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 I'm most proud of, of the record, I think, is that I always find like when a band you listen to a band's first record and they, they have 30 years later they're putting on another record, you know, the natural assumption is they're not as good as they were or they're not as angry as they were. All of a sudden you're like Rod Stewart singing, you know, these easy listening songs. But my, uh, you know, it's not that. And I think what we did is we tapped into the anger and angst of old. Uh, and somehow my voice got stronger in my old days, not not weaker. I'm screaming with a, a style I never used to be able to do as a younger man. So anyways, the record, I think, is like, wow, this is this is real. And, and like, you know, I, I could get up. I, I would put that on and, and I feel like I could teach these young kids a thing or two about rock and roll. Uh, all right. A, a lot there. Um, <laughs> a lot. No, a lot there. man. I appreciate that, man. And I'm, I'm sorry for your losses. Um, uh, as as you stated, while we're on this topic of the writing of the album, in my notes here, something I did want to ask you about. Um, you know, there's like you said, twelve songs. If if I'm gonna pick one song specifically, there's a video for it that people can check out. I've been what you become. I've been what you've become. Um, such a great song title and idea. Uh, it really made me stop and think. I wanted to ask you if you would share where that, that phrase comes from and, and what, what that means to you. Well, the phrase came to me a long time ago, um, probably between the first and second record. And, you know, as, as a songwriter will do, you write it down and your ideas and you come to it or you don't, and, or they become something else. And it just sat there. Um, and then, when it came to like we're we're now writing this record and we had we had the music for this song for that song already done now it needed lyrics now it needed a melody now it needed a chorus or you know vocals and my brain just went right to that phrase and you know there's uh, it was it was the lyrics that built around it were largely about a particular political figure that I won't bother talking about but um but it was, you know, I was able in my brain talk up to a certain person that was really, you know, uh, a source of my anger and frustration and build a, a narrative out of that, at least in my head. I never liked to, um, you know, all the songs in this record are have a are about something which is different than the first two records, which I might've, you know, you know, talk in, in, in abstract or create imagery, but this was different. I was, I was approaching it as a different kind of songwriter, but I never wanted to be explicit. I never want you to know exactly who I'm singing about or what I'm, I want you to be able to interpret it. But that being said, in my head, there was someone I was singing to and about in the song and it made the, the lyrical content so easy. And I think there's so many different ways to interpret. I've been what you've become, and I've been where you belong. Good, mm -hmm. bad, you know. Um, again, yeah. I want I want that to be interpreted by whomever. But I definitely had a mission with that one for myself. That second part of the statement, I've been where you belong to, very powerful um, and open to it's open to a lot of interpretations. Uh, I, I think, man. Again, I urge people to check out some of the new material that you've been making videos for. 
uh, and and putting on like the whole the whole album is available on your YouTube channel and on streamer uh, streaming platforms now. Um, but and and I and I will I do have a few more questions. Um, re, you know re, regarding volume three, but there's some stuff there's some stuff I still want to dig up from the past, man. I'm sorry. Um, bring it, bring it, let's do it. Uh, uh, so as I was saying, man, your self titled album ninety self titled album ninety four. You've I don't like to make people beat to death stories that they've told on other platforms. Obviously, Beavis and Butthead, Mike Judge, um, Daria, uh, 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 he, he featured your music. Um, people who don't know, it's, it's on YouTube. Some of the other platforms who've uh, covered you recently have, have featured the video. And um, what I'm interested in, because in, in God's honest truth, that's how I discovered the band. Um, many years ago, admittedly, and, and I did, I, I wanted to, I do have proof for the listeners, I'm holding up a cassette tape of the first album and a CD of the second album to show you I've stuck with the times with the formats too as the things were evolving. Um, but be, but in all honesty, I am a poser who discovered you guys on Beavis and Butthead many years ago. Um, you told the story about what it did for you guys, about how the, I think I heard Josh tell the story about how the kid burned up the mattress and they blamed Beavis and Butthead, so they switched the time slot dramatically so you guys would have got more exposure, right? Well, I think I think it, I think it works in the opposite. You know, I think uh, it's it's interesting. Yeah, I've heard Josh tell it too, and and I had forgotten about that part of it. But yeah, I when he tells it, I was like, oh, that's right. So yeah, so it was uh, Beavis and Butthead were a phenomenon and and uh, all over you know, MTV and everyone knew it and it, and they had the ability to make or break bands often. And, uh, you know, white zombie, arguably their career took off because of, of, uh, Beavis and Butthead. And so, um, and then that an unfortunate event took place where some kid burned it down and rightly or wrongly, I don't know, blame Beavis and Butthead. And so MTV moved it from, you know, right after school afternoon to 10 at night evening. So, um, we, we were able to engage listeners, you know, like or watchers like you at who are of that age enough to be watching TV at 10, but we missed out, you know, on uh younger kids that would have been, you know, two and three in the afternoon after school put on the TV. So um, you know, how much would it have made a difference? I don't know, but it is interesting um how much uh impact being on Beavis and Butthead uh, had, and I will say like, you're not, you're certainly, I would say the majority of people remember, if they remember anything about Sugar Tooth, it's, it's Beavis and Butthead <laughs> and sold my futon and all that. I mean, that's, yeah. that's what they remember. So God bless Mike Judd. I will tell you, you're the second guest of the Heavy Hole podcast who once had a Beavis and Butthead video, the late Steve Grimmett, singer of Grim Reaper. Uh, mm -hmm. See you in hell. Um, yeah. he, 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 he spoke very candidly about the experience too. And he had a, he had a good sense of humor, man. He, he was a great interview if the listeners want to go back to that one, but, um, yeah, they weren't as kind to him as they were to you, man. I think he was one of those eighties metal guys who, who they kind of, um, they, they harpooned a little bit out of the game, but, um, so I, I figured I'd, I'd at least leave you off with that. Cause I know you guys have told the story many times. Uh, and it is up to question what it did for the band. I, you know, they, like you say, they make or break bands, but you guys did put in the work. And on on that note, you guys toured relentlessly, supporting that first album, um, and with artists such as Slayer, Stone Temple Pilots, and and Soundgarden. Am I wrong with any of that? No. Uh, well, well, I guess I guess uh, to be a little more uh, 
some of them we toured with some of them we just played shows so we we opened for slayer in uh at iguanas in uh in tijuana mexico and that wow. was absolutely bonkers uh we toured with Stump temple pilots um for weeks and we you know we play you know i think we did a tour with dri and testament and uh we our first proper real show elevated out of the club circuit when we signed was opening for Soundgarden and Monster Magnet and Swerve Driver in Los Angeles at the Hollywood Palladium. Um, and we, you know, we had some really strange tours. We, I heard, I had forgotten, but Josh was talking about, we, you know, we opened for Delight. That was a strange one. <laughs> uh, we, uh, you know, but we've had some amazing shows and, and uh, it was hard. It was a hard time because, you know, music had evolved. You'd mentioned like some of the, the Grim Reapers, like there was um, music turned its back on that, that kind of a, a hard rock scene to embrace the, the Nirvana-ish scene. And there was a lot of, uh, you, you didn't, if you wanted a real shot at success, you didn't want to be associated with the harder rock stuff of the, of that, the past era. And so, you know, there was concern as you're touring with, uh, I don't know, DRI or whatever the Testament or whatever the band was, are they considered cool or are they considered cool to the crowd that we wanted to get to? Or if you take that tour, are you going to be looked at as a metal band when you're trying to break out? Whatever it is, there was a lot of, of overthinking involved. And, you know, we were young and arrogant and like thought, well, you know, we should, we're better than we don't belong on that tour. So we unfortunately turned down a lot of tours that probably would have done us very well. Um, and in hindsight, looking back, I'm like, it's like, you know, like metal, rock, glam, grunge, whatever you like. It's it's music and it's hard and it's aggressive and like, I'm actually a fan of all of it. And uh, you know, it's, I, I pigeon pigeonhold we pigeonhold ourselves uh, out of fear of like, you know, we've got to sell records. We we got we, we, we got an MTV. Mike Judge likes us. We can't be you know opening for that metal band. It's got to be <laughs> you know, Smashing Pumpkins or whatever it was. So. You know, what can I say? Arrogance. Uh, you youth, like you, like you said, you have a much different perspective now than you would have uh, when you were twenty. Um, one question based off of, the, off of some of that stuff, though, is the Slayer show, especially now, now knowing that it was in Mexico, because metalheads in Mexico are different. Respect, man. In 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 Mexico, metal is just that much more extreme and more of a lifestyle and a diehard culture. Slayer early 90s how was sugar tooth received by the crowd holy shit well i don't even remember how we got that gig and um but so set the stage a little bit so to speak no pun intended um the venue is was is iguanas and it was nicknamed particularly when slayer played there it had been nicknamed thunderdome because it was bonkers and there's a second level balcony from the audience but no railing so the audience would jump the belly you know stage dive from the second floor balcony and so the club had um embedded broken shards of glass along the balcony just you know and guess what it didn't stop anybody oh my god so there's that and now we you know some of us had seen slayer joey certainly huge fans and <clears throat> The, the word on the street was you don't want to open for Slayer because their fans don't give a shit who you are. They just want Slayer. Like, don't, oh God, they'll 
going to throw bottles at you like, oh, my God. So, and, you know, looking back, did we belong on that bill? No, I don't think that we were the right band for it, but um, but we got it. So we did it. And um, I had popped a couple of uh, blood capsule vials in my pocket. And right, I think right before the set or maybe second song, I forget exactly when, but I popped them in, did the old Gene Simmons bite down, blood gushing down my face. And guess what? I think it worked because we got through very respectful audience. We got through about, we only had maybe six songs. We got through about the sixth song. That applause, they they were ready for, for us to be done and they were ready for their Slayer. They started chanting it. We bowed, we got off stage, we survived. Um, <laughs> and so that's, that's how that one went. I respect that. that. That's a great story, man. Wow. All right, so if you're ever in doubt, if you're opening for Slayer, get some blood capsules, man. That's that's nuts. All right, I love it. Um, because, well, you know, on this note, too, something I wanted to express throughout this interview is Sugartooth's music is accessible to metalheads. I think, um, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, it's rooted in metal. I hear elements of Black Sabbath and, and other Roots metal bands in there. Um, you guys also, I just think, combine it with like a healthy respect for rock music, uh, you know, in, 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 in its roots as well. Is that, is that fair to say? Yeah, I think I think a couple of examples would be good. Uh, at one point, Geezer Butler from Sabbath, of course, reached out to me to see if I would be interested in, in auditioning for his band. So, so yes, there were absolutely Black Sabbath influences. He signed my my oldest guitar, my SG, and and like I, you know, I I, I can't say enough about Black Sabbath. Um, but but yes, and accessible, yes, to metal, yes. There was an unfortunate, you know, regrets. I have a few. There was uh, an unfortunate gig where we were. Uh, there was a KNAC uh, fest in in LA or Anaheim, California, something like that. And it was Metallica, and it was all these bands, and we were playing. And Rob Helfert was watching us from the side of the stage, and apparently loving it and it come up he had his roadie come up and say rob wants to join you on stage he wants to sing with you and so this is the tough part so we all looked at each other and like oh my god none of us knew a judas priest song or how to play it and we sat there for a second like well, victim of change it's an e and and mr helfert you know was watching what was going on i was like no fuck these guys and he he left and that has haunted me ever since because, uh, you know, I actually emailed and attempted to contact Rob Helfert um, for volume three because Judas Priest, from their second record through, at least through Screaming Through Vengeance, literally saved my life through COVID. Those were the records I, 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 I withdrew into. And I thought, God damn it. That man, I owe that man such a, he doesn't, I don't even think he remembers or whatever, but like I, for me, I owe that man an apology and I want him to sing on this record because it was, he was so influential, you know, for me, particularly in this half of my life. And um, so I reached out to him and Mia Culpa and we're, I don't know if you remember the event, but this is then good Lord, my apology, you know, if, if you're interested, if you're available and blah, 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 blah. And I got no response, but I tried, I tried. Yeah. But I think that highlights that our music is accessible, hard rock and Sabbath and Slayer. I mean, I, we're still hearing from Slayer fans that, that saw us that concert. We're like, yeah, man. So, 
if your mind's open to it, you keep your ears open. I think we uh, we might be uh, something that you would enjoy musically. Ch- check it out uh, for the listeners, man. And that's <laughs> I feel so bad because who's who can be expected to do a whole set? I mean, look, I'm in I, I'm in and out of death metal bands. I try not to make the podcast about me, but one, you know, one time we we were supporting a much larger band on a on a package tour, and their drummer got sick. And they come around, they go, can anyone play? And and my drummer's sitting there like, I can't play a 10-song set off the cuff of, you know what I mean? Like, you, of yeah, course, totally. and, it, and it seems like you're dissing them, like, oh, I've never even heard your band. But no, it's like, I don't, I'd have to, you know, we, we can't just do it on the fly. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's an awkward position to be in, man. But we appreciate totally. Yeah. And, and, you know, like. And like Rob fucking Alfred, man, you better get it right. If he's showing you on stage, you like you're not gonna half-ass a Judas Priest yeah. song. Like, I, oh god, horrible moment. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'll still don't be dreaming about it tonight. Maybe Rob will hear this. <laughs> you never know, man. Maybe Rob. Maybe Rob's got nothing better to do than listen to heavy old podcast. I don't know, uh, allegedly. But um, uh, all right, just a couple more questions. You know, so I know. From from what you guys have, have said, like tour support kind of dropped off because they gave you a very short window of time for the second single to blow up and for the for the album to to I guess to grow. They, it, it sounds like they didn't really give you guys much time at all to develop and and, and push the album. It sounds like they were just like, who you know, here, here's ten bands. One of them is gonna blow if we if we put money into them. Yeah, I, you know it was. It, I mean, we were on Geffen, DGC, and at the time, you know, I, I can't imagine a cooler label. You had Nirvana, Hole, Sonic Youth, Beck. Uh, it was all on this label. So the 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 machine of the major label at that at that that label was so on fire, and like, you know, all the attention was going there for obvious reasons. So you got, okay, I'll give this band a little shot, but if it's not working, Hole's got to do single out guns and roses. Like the, every, like it's just, so one of the reasons we signed there is because it's Geffen and all these amazing bands, they must know what they're doing, but then actually it's kind of a, against you because, you know, common sense be like, well, this is working. You're a gamble. Guess where they're going to spend their time and money. Um, so yeah, the, 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 by the time the second single came out, you know, I don't remember the details, but it might've been three weeks, four weeks at radio and it didn't jump and they pulled the support and they come home guys. And we came home. I think we got offered a nice show. I think actually maybe, um, I think Motley Crue had invited us, uh, to, to open for them, but, um, Joey, Castillo had gotten a call from Danzig and said, we need a drummer. And he left. And at that point, it just pulled the rug out from under. It's like, I mean, he was like, you know, the battery of the band and brutal to try and replace a drummer like that. So Josh Blum and I came home to lick our wounds and say, how the fuck are we going to get, what are we going to do now? So that, that was, uh, that's how the first album cycle had ended. And it was a dark time for us mentally oh okay man and you guys did uh quickly i just want to comment on the sound of uh, uh sound of solid uh your 1997 album still a geffen did stuck stick with you and put out the second album there um you guys worked with the dust brothers to produce this and i something i picked up on in one of the other interviews on you know being from new york i'm more of a metal hardcore guy but i love a lot of new york hip-hop i like the beastie boys and i heard that you guys referenced paul's boutique 
uh, the Beastie Boys album because the Dust Brothers produced that. That might have been an influence for you guys wanting to work with them. Yeah. So, so you know, we all came from different musical backgrounds, and Joey C came from punk, um, but he was also, you know, he loved hip hop and he loved urban music, and and Josh, my bass player, is definitely more metal. Uh, I came to metal, but I started more in like the the post punk new wave stuff, and so we we all had a different different taste, which you know worked for us. And um, on the road, you know, you you only put on volume four or whatever, how many times, and you're looking for something different. And so we were we we're cycling through different records, and and Beastie Boys were were always on, whether it was Check Your Head or or Paul's Boutique. And yes, of course, the Dust Brothers, the production on, on Paul's Boutique is, is I mean, it's what makes the fucking album, I think. But but what Josh and I loved about it was because it was samples, you know, um, you know, in early days of sampling, really, um, there was ear candy. Like you would have a guitar coming here and then a guitar coming here and they're different guitars, probably different amps or different recordings. And so I thought, we thought, well, what, what if... Like you're a rock band, just just because you're a rock band, why does the guitar, the entire track, have to be the same guitar, the same amp, and why does the second, the double guitar, have to be the same with maybe a slightly different tone? Why don't we mix it up? Like why? What if it's we do ten different guitars, ten different amps, and you pick and you mute it here and you plug it in there, and it becomes this sort of hip, like a, a hip hop production of a rock band. So it was with that thinking that we we started rethinking the second record and you know music had moved on it, stylistically what was what was big pop was popular and we were moving on and and as artists we didn't you know i'm sure we lost a lot of fans but we didn't really want to make the second record the same as the first record we've already done that and it would have felt like we were chasing our tail we lost our drummer but how do we make that same record and i was like let's 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 pivot, let's grow, let's take a chance. I mean, that's the whole point of art. You, you take risks, knowing fully well that we, you know, would potentially lose some of our fans, maybe a lot of our fans, knowing fully well that like, we probably wouldn't even get, in a, our, will Geffen even put the record out? So take a chance. And the idea of making another rock record was like, uh, but the idea of making a record that we'd never thought of doing before. And it was early enough in the loops where most bands hadn't done that. So we were really sort of on the cutting edge of like a hard rock band using loops. And the Dust Brothers had never really done a band like that before. So it was new to both parties. And the two sort of like styles came together like, well, what we could do this. And it for us, Josh and me, it worked. Um, you know, uh, a clearly a very different album. I'm sure most of our hardcore fans probably don't didn't like it probably still don't maybe they grew to it but from um from from a creator standpoint like it, i wouldn't have done it differently we we needed to do something different that was still us and but taking a chance and uh and oh i will say this when when we when joey our drummer had left for danzig um josh and i in an effort to stay sane and keep moving we started using samples because we had to write songs or drum machines at least so we were using mechanical things just as a template so that we could write songs 
but that process, the songwriting gets influenced by the mechanics of it. So now all of a sudden you've kind of demoed a song that has a mechanical feel to it. Like, oh, wait a second. If a drummer comes in, now it sounds almost too organic because I'm so used. So there was, it was the, the Joey's absence and the need for a mechanical drummer sort of laid the foundation for us being open to trying this new thing. And, and uh, you know, they, the Dust Brothers hadn't even done Odelay yet with for Beck, which was obviously his big one. And, and for them too, they were doing, they were producing Odelay and our second record at the same time at the studio right next to each other. So they were toggling back and forth. So it was very different. It was very new and exciting. And, and again, we took a chance, didn't think it would work. Didn't know, certainly didn't know it'd work, but, um, but we were excited by it. And uh, you know, that's how it happened. Fair enough. Um, and I, what I'll say is I, it might not have the kind of like uh, uh, raw energy of the first album or the uh, angry um, uh, hard rock metal edge of volume three, but um, Sound of Solid, it, it, it does, it, first of all, like you said, you guys were ahead of your time. There's a lot of people nowadays with loop stations and digital effects boards that take the place of, of pedals um doing what you're talking about like switching tones with di different guitars looping things and having different you can have there's there's pedals now I've, I, don't, I don't know the name of the gear but you're, you're, i'm sure you're familiar where people can have all sorts of different settings from amps downloaded into them and 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 play that right through uh you know a line into the pa if they want and all, all, all this sort of stuff yeah yeah i mean we were still very much uh, like a rock band I, I i don't think i ever had anything other than maybe a a fuzz you know, a, a big muff or a, an overdrive. There, I was not a pedal guy. It was, it was just plug in and play. So we were very much an organic band. Um, so yeah, the idea of like stepping on pedals and like that, that just wasn't what we were. So um, mm -hmm. the, the interesting challenge was to recreate the second record as an organic band. So we didn't have all this, you know, all the ear candy, so to speak, but um, of the record live, but we definitely, I mean, blood sweat and tears we gave it our all and it was high energy and and you know it was it was a, to to the last day we're all, we're a rock band and and uh i didn't want to be you know uh, um tethered to electronic stuff like i, I at the end of the day i didn't want to loop to go bad and be like oh shit what do you do like no that's not we're not we're still a rock band and you know we're, we can get through a song as is musicians not relying on on uh, technology so at the end of the day even though the second record was the a produced you know uh record with with me mechanics and loops and all that we were still very much a at that point a trio um a rock trio that would you know deliver in a real way I respect that, man. That's something that we talk about on the podcast a lot. Uh, in the context, usually of of extreme metal, is the amount of digital um, aids and you know I don't want I don't want to call it with drum triggers and things like that and and, and that that go that that people use to to you know to to, to great effect. But there's kind of an old school mentality amongst a lot of people. Like yeah, if you know you also if you if all you have is amps and a drum kit and, and a microphone, you you know you should be able to get through a set as well. Um, but that's, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a debate for another time, man. You've been generous with your time. And I do want to get on to talking about volume three, um, a little bit more. You, I know you guys said you wrote this mainly over the internet, the way a lot of artists are doing things nowadays, especially during the last few years. But here's my question that popped into my head when I heard you talk about that. You guys were in 
rehearsal rooms, toured together, playing lots of for years. You and and Josh Blum, your um uh your longtime bass player colleague uh, and co-writer. So the fact that you guys already had this solid years long foundation of having written together, played together, jammed together, sp- spoken the same musical language. Um, when you guys said, all right, let's just start exchanging files. Was it just that natural? Do you feel like, cause it, cause it uh, to be perfectly honest, volume three sounds very natural, especially when, when contrasted with the first album. Yeah. Well, I think, I think, you know, Josh and I, from bass player and I, uh, became fast friends and became best friends. You know, I think he's absolutely one of my best friends and I know I'm one of his and, um, through the good times and the bad times when we were writing songs, like we, He's my musical uh, soul partner. Like we, we have a thing. We have we we can finish each other's musical sentences, and and we're very different. Like he he brings like a just a like a different style. He he's not like your classic classical rock bass player. Like he'll he has a bit of a kind of funk to him, and but it, it's not a funk band by any stretch, but. When he, what he brings to it, and I offset it with my not funk or metal, whatever I do, the two come together in a really nice and I think unique way. So we had, oh, maybe 10, 15 years of, of writing together under our belts, and uh, whether it be for us or other bands that we'd produced throughout the years. Um, so when we, and we had some ideas that we were kicking around from first and second record that we re, uh, reanimated for volume three. So we, he, what I just realized today is the first song he had written um, for this record uh, ended up being, he had sent it to me and I liked it, but it didn't really resonate. It wasn't like the rock thing that I was thinking we would do. And it, it laid there dormant. And um Right as we were about to go in the studio, uh, a friend of ours helping produce it said, wait, this song, it's really good. You should try and write something on it, Mark. Just try it. Just like, not on the record. It's not going to make the record, but just try. And I did. And it became one of my favorite songs on the record. So the first song that Josh had written ended up being the last song that we, uh, he had written the last song that I put anything on and made the record. Um, But we... It, we would exchange, you know, it was garage band, so we could have the, uh, you know, the virtual drummer already plugged in there and give us an idea of what it would sound like. And it happened so quickly. Um, again, you know, it's just, uh, we, I had a lot to say and and I already knew, I, I know when he writes something, where the chorus is going to go, where the pre is going to go, where I, I could just know it. And same with him. Some songs he wrote the bass, the the song, and then I came in with guitar and melody and vocals. Some songs I wrote uh, all, and he came in with the bass line. And some songs we just wrote together, and like, and um, and that's the way it works. And it, we just uh, when we were in the studio, or no, we were in the mixing process of the record. And I remember just calling him and said, "You, I don't know, like, I just have this profound realization of how fucking lucky you and I are because." I've been in a lot of bands and I, dysfunctional bands and functional bands. And like, like we, like what, whether anyone else likes it or not, he and I like it and it's so easy and fluid. And I have the utmost respect for him and musician, songwriter, uh, uh, how to, you know, craft and structure songs. I think he feels the same way about me, but like, there's, there's just like, 
and we push each other's boundaries. There's no, there's no like off limits. You want to try something fucking different? Let's go for it. It might not work. It might, but we've allowed each other the space to breathe and, 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 and try and fail. No judgment, a lot of laughter where uh, we were like, we get each other's humor. So it just, uh, it was just an amazing experience. And, um, and he, you know, he tapped into his metal roots for this one. I tapped into mine and just fucking went for it. And uh, I'm really proud of it. All right, man. Um, solid, solid endorsement. And, uh, and now another question about what went into uh, recording this album or maybe what went into uh, uh, so, some of the work on this album. I don't know if you use this guitar. I'm not a guitar guy myself, but you have on the, on the <laughs> Sugar Tooth uh youtube channel mark's guitars you have the first video installment of that where you show off your guitar collection that you've been curating the last few years my question is the first one that you show on that video um the uh gretsch black the gibson style gretsch black falcon if i got it correct <laughs> right yeah you talk about in the video and my you know my my guitarist listening to this might want to might want to check this out it sounded interesting to me because you're playing with a hollow body guitar through what'd you say a half stack Marshall, yeah. Marshall has good, and yeah. because of that, it creates feedback anytime your hand leaves the area of the pickups or, or the the area of the body of the guitar, and and you, mm -hmm. you you use that to affect. I'll let you take over. Well, yeah, you know, I I I'd, uh, so in Sugartooth historically, I'd used an SG, um, and uh, so you got a nice solid piece of wood there, and and it does its beautiful screaming thing, and then um, after Sugartooth, I started playing around with. A hollow body so i took a gretsch black falcon um and i would plug it through the marshall and a, a very different animal to contain um and and so yeah what would happen was it sort of became a new style for me so you play and you distort it or or whatever um you know so that you've got the, the dynamics and the, and the grit depending on the pedal that you use but then whether your pedals are on or off if you're just holding guitar uh, and take your hands off of it, that guitar vibrates and ooh, it starts coming out of the amp. Um, and oh, well, if I, what if I put a delay on that? Ooh, ooh, it's almost like a, like a theremin. They think of a Jimmy Page with this. It becomes that. And so now the fun was like, how do you integrate that to like you're playing, you're playing, you're playing a riff and then, ooh, you know, um, and and that can become the tag in the same way like a, a guitar line can become a tag for a song that can also become a tag and, and it became a part of how I play the guitar now. So it's not just about uh, notes or, or noise um, from the frets and fretboard or whatever you're going to end up doing. It can, it can also be a hands-free thing and the combination of the two are impossible to predict impossible to replicate you can never it's never going to be two two solos that sound the same because it depended on the room and the, how volume and the stage is a stage wooden was like all that contributes to this and it's a uh, it really it just created a whole new world of, of playing for me um that was you know uh, exciting did, did you happen to use that uh technique and that guitar on the new album um i did not and the reason i didn't um, we, I don't even know why, I just, I think for fun, but we, we had a self-imposed rule 
for the record, to not use any obvious instruments. So I didn't use any Gibsons, any Fenders, or any Gretches, and we didn't use any Marshalls, and and we thought, let's make a fucking full-on rock record with left-of-center options. Um, and so that's why. So so now, yes, I would have normally used the SG, and I would have used my Gretsch, and but I didn't, and um, just for a different different attempt at something. Again, as a to, to grow and to change and try something. I like it, man. Maybe, maybe that's how you get a different sound than than other people. Are you at liberty to reveal uh, any of these uh, left of center brands and instruments, or is this like a secret? God, yeah, you want I can show you some. I don't know if you want me to go in there, but yeah, um, you know, there a banker. Banker uh, makes incredible guitars. Uh, he was uh, Novo, another guitar maker. Um, we just, guy, uh, I'm pardon, pardon me. Uh, we just interviewed the guys from Soot, a band from Nashville, Tennessee, and they work for the Novo company. There you go. That's interesting. Okay, I'm sorry. Proceed. Yeah, oh, all good. All good. Um, a guy, uh, I think he's in Pennsylvania, Black Diamond Guitars. I mean, th they are Gibson inspired largely, but they're not, you know, like a uh. I just have so many of them, but yeah, um, I was, uh, as you probably saw from that, the Mark's guitar videos, I was, I was, uh, you know, uh, patronizing, um, small builders, uh, particularly during COVID as an effort to, uh, you know, obviously I'm spending money and I'm buying guitars, but I, it's like, you know what is everyone, the economy is collapsing and everyone's like struggling to make their bills. Why am I going to spend, you know, spend money on a factory built, whatever, like, let me help the small guys. And like, and those instruments became, I mean, they're often better made. They're handmade. There's care. They're hand-carved, hand-wired. The pickups are often, you know, made by the builder. And and so it was just like an exciting um, rabbit hole for me to go down. But um, but so the, the guitars I used were largely those. And the amp I used was a matchless. Um, I'm sorry. It was not. It was a magnetone. A magnetone because I saw I saw the the ZZ Top documentary mm. on Netflix and I thought they all had this like this wall of magnetones and it looked so cool. And then I played it and I was like, oh my God, this is like a it's very different than a Marshall, but it has a real bite to it. And I was able to do anything, everything I needed to with that. And I thought, oh, that's that's something I would have never done before. It would have absolutely been a Marshall, you know, Marshall or death, but uh it was a magnetone and uh made it work yeah, uh thank you man i'm sure a lot of our listeners who play guitar and a little bit more of gearheads appreciate that um I, and you mentioned zz top in your, in your travels in the 90s or, or uh whenever did you ever cross paths uh, cross paths with those guys <laughs> no um i am a you know i'm a zz top fan i'm you know i'm not like a, i'm not a diehard fan or anything but but huh. um the the earlier records certainly um and as a as a guitar player holy shit but yeah. um i did however run into billy gibbons at a mexican restaurant in los angeles a couple of years ago and my friends called him over and said he's a fan you know me and it happened to be my birthday and so he came over and shook my hand and uh went over to the mariachi band at the Mexican restaurant, had them sing me happy birthday, came down, sat next to me. So I have a photo with me and Billy Gibbons eating like chips and salsa at a Mexican restaurant a couple of years ago. The, the coolest, the absolutely coolest. What a, what wow. a cool dude. 
That is great. We love a good ZZ Top story on the podcast. They're um, they're they're a very close. Uh, they're they're like the 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 bridge uh, uh gap the bridge gapping band generationally between my father and I. You know what I mean? That's like you know I'm death metal. He that's kind of where we meet in the middle. I've seen them live three times uh, in the last several years. Man, I love a good ZZ Top story. That's great, man. Glad, what a glad band! Asked. Yeah. And the musicianship, outrageous, yeah. outrageous. Yeah. People don't know, man. Rest in peace to uh, Dusty, man. Um, but you know, it's interesting. You hear it in, you hear it whether you want, if you recognize that, you hear it in Queens of the Stone Age. Josh Homie mm. is a ZZ Top fan, and he was certainly in the documentary. But I was listening to uh, th- their new record; it's coming out. I, I heard an early copy of it, and like, there's. ZZ Top all over that thing, and there's the cars, and you know, there's but but ZZ, I, you know, I think as a, certainly as a guitar player, if you don't get Billy Gibbons' tone and his ability to his licks, it, it's like then you're playing the wrong instrument, even if it's like not your thing and you you're a shredder or whatever. Like he's a masterclass in taste and and tone. Absolutely. I was, I was, uh, I, I had to bother borrow my father's truck the other day because my Jeep was in the shop. The only CD available in that truck was uh, Afterburner by ZZ Top. <laughs> and I listened, yeah. I, I listened to it front to back, man. Um, yeah, yeah, you're not lying, man. Uh, after the listeners go check out all the new Sugar Tooth materials, check out ZZ Top if you haven't to, man. Do some homework. And Dango side too. I love that record. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, well, that, this is actually a good segue too because uh, we're, we're, we give you the opportunity to plug and promote anything else. Um, uh, after this, uh, this kind of like a uh, winding down question I always give, but sugar, your website is sugartooth.band, right? Uh, yes, because why not? <laughs> that, I love that because yeah, there's no like I was I, I I didn't know if I had it right, but that's how it came up when I looked it up. Yeah, every time I type it into I'm like, is this right? There's no dot com or how, I, I, I want to get that for my band. Um, Sugartooth.band. You can download the new album. You can get all your links for wherever you want to listen to it. You can get on a waiting list. Uh, you guys have a variety of T-shirts up to five X for the big guys. I'll mention um, videos you can watch right there, uh, old show flyers, which is interesting to, to go through. And I also do credit as research for this. So great website, sugartooth.band. If you want to learn more about the band, there's a little bit of a history there too, and all that sort of thing. Um, and, and as I said, anything else I left out, feel free to plug, but my, my closing out question, I ask everybody, can you please recommend one older piece of music and one newer piece of music, whether it's a demo, EP, album, rock, metal, any genre, just something from back in the day that you like and something that's a little bit more recent that you like to recommend to, to myself and the listeners. Yeah, I, oh, I would say, well, one thing that um, I would say that we sh- I should plug, if, if you will, uh, is that we were, um, we're, we're releasing vinyl. Um, nice. I, I'm a vinyl collector from the get-go, from, from Queen the Game in probably 1980 or 81 or whatever it was uh, until now. And so I realized we don't have vinyl and that's, that doesn't sit well with me. So we're making vinyl of certainly volume three, the new record. Uh, but we are also in the process of getting the masters from Geffen or universal now uh, to press the first two records on vinyl as well. And we're also pressing CDs of volume three, because interestingly, we realized that a lot of people don't stream music and a lot of fans that are my age, your age, roughly still listen to CDs and that's their go-to. And I thought, let's do it. So I'll plug that part. Looking forward to that, man. I'm a, I'm a rec- record collector myself, man. And it's, um, 
Uh, it's it's formats are coming back, man. Well, I'll I'll leave it at that, man. But I'll I'll let you take over. Yeah, no, I I agree. Again, as I sort of mentioned, like the tactile experience as a kid, I I can think of like so many. I remember the Aussies' first two records. Like I don't know how many times. I stared at the artwork on Blizzard of Oz or Diary of a Madman and tried to decode the, like the, what are the symbols in the back? Does it mean anything? And like the unbelievable. And you don't get that uh, certainly on CD and you don't get it from streaming. And so, you know, to the extent that I can contribute to that holistic participation in music, I'm in Um, music. So, um, my i'm sure many people have heard of them at this point so i'm not i'm not probably not turning too many people onto it but a band called idols out of the uk i d l e s um they are my wife is a music publisher and she signed them full disclosure but um they are unbelievable and they are angry uh heavy they are i mean if you, they're like 1976 London punk sort of anger and 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 uh honesty the difference that I think makes them stand out is and and arguably maybe the best live show I've ever seen like my jaw fucking dropped um and I've seen it at this point 20 times um but the difference between them and like the the punk of old and and there is absolute anger but it's not fuck you it's it's like let's let's fix this there's a positive message like there's a we're a community if we if we stick together we can affect change and and we're not going to stand for this bullshit and like so there's a, it's a weird inclusivity to this sort of their version of punk and i think it's really really um amazing and if you haven't heard them the records may or may not speak to you. The live show will floor you. Um, and they're just getting bigger and bigger. Um, and they're on tour, I think, with LCD sound system coming up soon. But they are, make no mistake, it is it is full-on guitar rock. Um, okay, so that's, that's new. That's current. Something old that... Um, I mean, there's so many different genres, but given that I'm speaking to a hard rock podcast and um, I'll try and stay a little bit on topic, but um, I would say a band that a lot, a lot of, certainly not um, common knowledge, although they have a huge, like a, a real fan base. They've been around, they're legends as far as I'm concerned, but a band called Hot Snakes. Okay. Um, they're from San Diego. They were they used to be Drive Like Jehu, and then there's mm-hmm. Rocket from the Crypt. So all of those are interchangeable members. But Hot Snakes, they have a handful of records. The one that I love is called, um, it's a yellow one. It's called Suicide Invoice. And the singer has the voice I've always wanted, raspy, screaming like Kurt Cobain on a bad, a perfect day, on a perfect day. And uh, and it's just tough downstroke. I, I you know it's not it's not punk. It's not metal. Metal not really solos to speak of. But it but it's it's and it's not bar rock either. But it's it's kind of all of it. And I just think those records, that record in particular, are just like just amazing. Just yeah, I I, I 
and if they, and they still tour occasionally too and they're old dudes they're like me maybe even older and they, they'll school anyone in the audience um yeah i to be honest i've i have friends uh who, who i know are into hot cross that's it's a hot cross it's a band that i'm not as familiar with i do uh, I really enjoy Drive Like Jehu. Um, uh, Yank Crimes is the album I'm most yes. familiar with. I had a friend who was really into them years ago that put me onto them, man. So yeah, that's okay. kind of like so, a whole. It's a, it's John Reese. It's the same. It's the same crew, and it's that same voice. Mm -hmm. It's the same singer. Hot Snakes. Hot I mean, Snakes. Three or four, four, maybe five records at this point. One's a live one. One's a. But I would say the first three, the yellow one. I would start with the yellow one. Oh my god. So good, so good. Fair enough. Yeah, Hot Snakes. I I said Hot Cross. I interviewed a, a metal band called Hot Cross, and I accidentally called the shout to Mike. I I accidentally called them Hot Snakes, and now now we're talking. I said this is the wrong thing, man. Um, oh good. Yeah, that's the listeners know I get switched up sometimes. But um, Mark Mark Hutner of Sugar Tooth Sugar Tooth dot band. If uh, you're more curious about all this stuff we've been talking about, especially Volume Three, the new album that we're anxiously awaiting vinyl and CD of. Thank you so much for your time and for telling your stories here on Heavy Hole Podcast. Do you have any parting words uh, for fans of Sugar Tooth and listeners of our podcast? Look, I, well, thank you first off for having me. I, I'm I'm honored and I'm flattered, you know, and 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 I, I don't typically talk about myself, so I've been enjoying, you know, it's like therapy. And and looking back on my life, I'm like, oh, a pretty good life. It's, <laughs> it's pretty good, you know. Um, but uh, I I I I am so thrilled and honored to sort of be back at this and in the rock genre you know it's it's um it's not timely music uh it's not you know cool and current uh but it's my people and you know whether it's death metal like, like it doesn't really matter to me it's it's like an aggressive form of music that's guitar based and, and has something to say and i'm so proud to just be a part of it and you know and and uh that, that that people are embracing us and and uh that it's even a dialogue that's being had still you know listening to what's on the radio and me seeing like the world is upside down where is the anger where are these bands why and you know and so like so again this is the world that i'm i've retreated into again and i'm 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 it seems like we're being embraced and it's a lovely thing and but i am i'm just uh if i you know i picked the right genre to 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 be a part of it. and so hats off to you to like being a a, a mouthpiece for it and uh you know there's not a, there's not a lot of it out there. it's a whole community and a whole uh, uh um uh, uh like a whole world that exists in in our in this genre of, of heavy stuff but like it's not it's not for everybody and those of us that are in it we get it and i appreciate you likewise man uh thank you for that man and and we're gonna be on the lookout for you guys with uh um pressing up those formats and for um the fourth album whatever it's called and 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 more man um i, I can't do volume four is already taken so i gotta I come up with something yeah yeah for i was gonna say i almost said that Qu uh, quickly any plans um i know you've said that if there's live shows it's got to be the right uh the the right offer um and the right circumstances uh, any anything to speak of any plans yet or um uh for people who would ask what's what's going on with that um no not yet so you know we'll be auditioning drummers in the next couple of months um we want them to be east coast to make it easier for us um but you know i put out feelers to our our friends that are in bands or fans of the band over the years like 
you know, I, I haven't explicitly said, Hey, you want to put this on a show, but you know, I'm in touch with our old friends of like, uh, um, Fu Manchu and, and have reached out to, you know, just putting it out there, sending them the record, you know, they, we were all of the same era and bands and friends. And if any of them, you know, just when we're ready, I'll maybe reach out in earnest, be like, anybody want to give us a show? But I think, I think ideally what we'll do is play two or three shows locally in New York or in the area to cut our teeth again, get our, you know, get this uh, aging body up on stage and see if I can get through a show without collapsing. And, uh, and then once we have like our, our, uh, our, uh, you know, wits about us again, I think we'd like to tackle shows. Maybe, you know, I, I, maybe in LA, it seems like an obvious uh, return to our, our nest and maybe, you know, Lollapalooza stage or I, we'll see, you know, it's a, this is, we've been out of it so long. It's very interesting to see if uh, who remembers or who cares, but the goal is to do it right and not to, you know, I have no interest in playing in front of four people on a Tuesday night in uh, Pensacola, Florida. Again, I did, did that. Um, so we'll see, but, but art, we absolutely, that is a mission to perform live. We have an always will be a live band. Um, so, yeah. All right, man. Thank you for that. We'll be on the lookout, man. Uh, Mark, thank you so much for your time, brother. Have a great thank night. You, well. you too. Appreciate it. Big shout to Mark Hutner from Sugar Tooth. Ian, you're still with me, right, bro? Absolutely. Would never leave. <laughs> wow, man. That's the loyalty we need on this team. I want all you other co-hosts to listen to that, man. Um, <laughs> shout to Ian on it. Uh, yeah, Ian. Um, and, and with that said, we had, um, well, we have a few recommendations. I also, people know I fly solo on the interviews uh you know i bring the co uh, the, you, you guys you guys help me frame things out man it's just the way we kind of do things around here but i did tell you uh to check out sugar tooth you started giving me a little of your perspective behind the scenes and i liked it i want you to just roll with what you were saying before man about 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 when you checked out sugar tooth yeah absolutely so i keep it relatively brief but when you sent it through i think it's interesting what i started to note is someone of my age so i'm in my my early 30s right now and i feel like uh growing up on long island people that had um you know, a grunge affiliation would lean just into the, like literally the names that you don't have to dig for at all. Like something that sounds like Nirvana or something that sounds like Soundgarden and the buck kind of stopped there. Um, and I feel like after listening to the tracks that you had sent through to me for this newer sugar tooth release from this year, like in a weird way, it kind of seems like it would fit on, I, I thought of like some TP record um, roster uh, affiliates like it almost had like stoner rock or like a little bit of like uh, like like sludge doom not not like death doom but like a little bit of like this I, I don't know what it was and it's not really that had this like bluesy element at all um but I was thinking like uh I what's this UK band's name I think it's like pigs 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 like pigs times seven or something like that almost like proggy in a way um 
And uh, no, I thought it was really cool. And I and I looked up on Wikipedia and um, not sure if this, they noted this, but the, the concepts here, like it said that they regularly open for Slayer and they also noted like Stone Temple Pilots in the 90s or something like that. That's super interesting to me. I feel like that's the kind of shit that would never fucking happen now. Like a band that sounds like that opening for whatever the equivalent of Slayer would be in 2023, like something that's newer and popping off. I don't know. I can't see it happening. And it's just kind of cool that, that those kinds of shows happened back then, I guess. Yeah, man, we we had a great discussion with Mark Hutner about that. He talked about the Slayer concert uh, where he put fake blood on himself, man. Maybe that's the trick, man. But, you know, I feel like hard rock was just a little bit more wild back in the early 90s, too. Uh, the the, the quote-unquote grunge or, or, or alternative scene. Um, uh, you know, you're right. In hindsight, obviously, the specter of Kurt Cobain, uh, you know, who, who I, I'm not discounting at all respect for him and, and his art and his legacy, but... Uh, that, you know, and, and Chris Cornell, uh, rest in peace, you know, Soundgarden, there's there's Alice in Chains. There's so many um, kind of like deified martyr type rock star characters from that scene uh, who maybe overshadow certain other artists. But like any other scene, there was like a great gold rush, you know, kind of for the record labels that Mark talked about. And, and they were just one of many bands that kind of got lost in the sauce out there man so i'm re- really glad that they're back and, we, and again we urge you to check out their new album man you just heard us talk all about it with mark hutner some other stuff we're going to talk about now we're going to get into some recommendations and shift gears a little bit ian how about you go first man you want to tell the people what you brought in yeah absolutely um so the the artist here is crawl um the album it's actually going to be a split ep the date on it has yet to fully be released but um it's going to be entitled made as those who are no longer alive and it's going to be a split with uh with another swedish death metal band um feral off of the label transcending obscurity and i know you guys have talked about them in the past i believe um i actually found this one through transcending obscurity's 2023 label sampler um, I think there's like 28 total tracks on that guy. Feral's track that will be on this split was one of them as well. Um, really good stuff if you're just looking to find some newer, um, you know, death metal and a lot of subgenres that are spinning off of just the the wider tree of death metal. I would check out that sampler. But um, to digress back into Crawl specifically, um, I they call themselves like a crust-infused death metal for those that are unaware uh they they are paced a bit slower in my opinion than a lot of the crust shit that i've heard in the past like definitely not like anywhere even near like a like a gore uh grind band or anything like that no grind elements here it's paced even slower than crust um and i kind of like that i mean if you're into buzzsaw like hm2 baked uh guitar tones this is for you and i actually like it because I don't think it's a tired version of that, if I'm being honest. Like, there are a lot of bands that have that guitar tone right now in the new wave of old school death metal. And I love all those as well. Um, But I kind of like hearing that tone within this element of more like punk, early hardcore influence into death metal as well. I think that that was kind of neat. And yeah, last few things, the guitar and guitarist and drummer previous uh members there from uh discarnate and uh demonicle if you're like a swedish deathhead um those might ring some bells uh and they also have uh a 2018 full length that was the last full length that i saw and actually their only one so far that they put out called rituals also from transcending obscurity so if uh crust infused death metal sounds good to you maybe check out sweden's crawl um from transcending obscurity 
Um, what were your thoughts on this one, Will? I don't know if you had a chance to listen to it yet. Yeah, absolutely. I checked it out, man. And um, uh, interesting, that's a split release. Uh, and quickly, just for our listeners who might be wondering, how can I keep up on all this death metal out there? Maybe, maybe you're not coming from the death metal perspective. I don't. Maybe you're just here for Sugar Tooth today. Transcending Obscurity is a great uh, independent underground death metal label that puts out a lot of. Uh, younger, upcoming, and maybe bands that are under a rock not getting the spotlight they deserve. So that's, it's just a great label overall. Um, that being said, Crawl is a... Uh, this is really... You, you mentioned the slower tempos, the word crust. What I got out of this, it reminded... Just from my personal experience, it reminded me a lot of some of like the Czech Republic grindcore bands. Not the super blasty ones necessarily, but the bands that maybe fall in with like that mincecore, kind of polka one-two stomping beat a little bit. Um... Malignant Tumor comes to mind. Agathocles, not that they're a Czech band, uh, comes to mind with that mincecore thing. And, you know, it just goes to show you crust, mince, punk and hardcore influenced grindcore. That, you know, there's a big gray area there. Um, but the, the way they keep it kind of more slower and dumbed down and simple, like intentionally, I'm like, I don't think that's an insult. I think they're intentionally keeping things a little stripped down at times. Uh, reminded me of maybe some of that some of that malignant tumor and Agathocles kind of th- kind of thing. And you're right, the guitar tone is a monster, and that on the other hand has like more of what you might expect from a raw old school Swedish band with that death metal influence. Very cool release, um, very cool like infusion of a of a couple of different um, aspects or styles from different subgenres of grindcore and death metal that like you don't always see like that like that like just just that guitar tone and that death metal influence with more of that kind of simplified punk influence grindcore element maybe man there's re- really cool release something definitely definitely raw definitely um that definitely getting clubbed over the head style uh for people you know there's not the most progressive release you're going to hear but i don't think the guys are going for that at all so um i guess that's where i'll leave off any parting thoughts ian I love that check, like the the polka beat reference that you made. I feel like I get myself in trouble sometimes with like people that, that regularly would consider themselves like really into crust by even saying the words D beat. If they're like, that wasn't a true, that wasn't a real D beat. That, and it's like, yeah, okay. It was like an inversion of it. You know what I mean? Like that kind of had a DB feel no matter what. Um, and I feel what you're saying there with like that, that like polka element, that little stomp and stomp and beat there. Maybe not something traditionally D beat. Um, that I saw in present in this, so that that was super cool. Yeah, it's it's something that seems very typical of very specific European grind and gore grind bands. Uh, that certain ones, not the hyper blasty ones, but certain people just kind of always push it in there, man. So we'll Tom, uh, Tom, we'll let Tom check it out too, man. Tom, put on a little something from the, these these new tracks from uh, Crawl from their upcoming split EP with Feral on Transcending Obscurity Records. Shout to Tom. So um, my recommendation now, a um, little bit more old school. I always, like, there's a pattern lately of the co-host bringing something new and br- me bringing something old. Nothing wrong with that. I um, 
want to recommend. There's This has been reissued a few times in a few different ways, um, but I'm basically talking about the uh, uh, two seven-inch EPs that Deranged started out with. Deranged from Sweden, long-running, prolific, and dependable um, uh death metal band brutal death metal band not now we were just talking about how the guitar tone and crawl was maybe what you'd expect from from sweden um deranged is not what you might expect if you if you're familiarized with like swedish death metal as a genre or a style or whatever deranged has always been known for doing maybe more of a western style of death metal back in the 90s they would have maybe referred to it as a new york or east coast or, or even florida influenced style of brutal death metal um, and to this day, they still continue that tradition. Deranged has a wealth of material for you to go back and listen to. I've spoken about them on the podcast. I may have even bring, brought, brought one of these up at some point in the past, but I don't care because it's time for people to play catch-up. Um, and because it's also been reissued, like I said, in a few different ways, Extreme Music, a uh, great label from uh, Spain that, that goes back and used to be Drowned Productions and, and um, a few different other Repulse records back in the 90s. Long History has recently reissued it. And we're talking about the Upon the Medical Slab 7-inch from 94 and the Confessions Continues 7-inch from 93, um, which altogether makes up uh, five tracks. So it's not like the longest compilation of material. It's just perfect. In my humble opinion... Um, this is perfect death metal. This is a perfect death metal recording, perfect death metal recordings. This is a perfect death metal compilation. Uh, this is everything about the kind of newer wave of more brutal death metal that was moving forward from the thrash era. Um, but, but before highly triggered drums, before tech death, before the influence of core, uh, before a lot of those other things that elitists don't like. Uh, it's catchy in a way that the band captured occasionally in their career at other points, but this is this was something special. And maybe I think also because they were at the, towards the beginning of their career, they were still at a um a more primal stage of the band, figuring themselves out. I think they they laid into groove a little bit more. Then on, like, they kind of later became a more consistently hyper-blasting, very rarely slowing down or grooving type of band throughout most of their full-length albums. But on these releases, there was, like, a, some attention to groove and catchiness. There were some interesting guitar solos and never really letting up, though, man. This is like, there were some real earworm parts, I'll say. Um, if I would put this up there in the same league as maybe Dehumanized Prophecies Foretold, maybe the first Devourment album. Um, you know, just maybe like the first Dying Fetus album, just in terms of catchiness, uh, but also technical proficiency. It's not stupid catchiness. It's not dumbed down catchiness. This is, uh, like peak, what you might call brutal death metal, uh, or, or nineties death metal or second wave death metal. These guys did it. They captured it. Uh, and I don't want to talk it to death too much. You kind of just have to listen to it. What the drummer was doing, what what they were doing rhythmically with the songs, the catchiness of it all. It's just it, it really will bring a tear to my eye uh, as a death metal fan and follower. I that's about all I can say. I don't want to gush too much. But Ian, I'll just hand it over to you. I'm not now. Let now let me know right off the bat. Are you familiar with this band with this release? And then then you know take it from there. Yeah, perfect. I familiar with the band, um, but not deeply so, and was not familiar of either of these EPs, to be honest. Um, so it was really interesting listen for me. 
Um, one of the, one of the main things that stood out, I also really love love both both of these EPs, listening to them front to back. Um, the Confessions Continues, which was the one that was listed at coming out in '93, from what I saw, that one to me felt like true, like just straight up death metal. Um, one thing that I really loved was the change in like the snare moving to upon the medical slab. Like it kind of had that pinniness now that like a slam or gore grind band of today that a lot of young kids like there's so much stuff right now that's still popping off that is relevant to this, like the putrid stew and fluids and piss graves, all these little, you know, up and coming bands that I feel like from the sounds of it could harken back to something like that 94 EP here, the upon the medical slab is something that might've pioneered what they're trying to do now within the slam world. And uh, the other thing that I really appreciated was uh, it was quite clean. Like I think a lot of times, and I love that gore grind stuff and that slamming shit that is like, like blitz fest you know and it's kind of a whirlwind to keep up with everything that's going on but i really liked that you could hear distinctly what was going on between each member of the band in that 94 ep here um definitely gonna listen to this a lot more if i'm being honest i really enjoyed it it has a way of sticking in your ears um and i had i'm kind of nostalgic for it because i had a friend who has long since moved on from his death metal collection um, but in the nineties, only seven inches and made me a dubbed copy of them when I was still very like young and getting into all this stuff in high school. So like when I listen to it now, it also just nostalgic brings back memories of hanging out with my first death metal kind of friends and, uh, getting into the scene and stuff back then. And, and it, it really, after all, it just holds up. And it's something that I still think the listeners, the sh- uh, listeners of the show could get something out of um historically so that being said i'm gonna take it away to tom and we're gonna like i said man you can go on metal archives our constant resource here but in particular um the upon the medical slabs uh the confessions continues um has been reissued on 10 inch vital by extreme music uh of spain um but but it's also been reissued in a couple of different formats man so go go make the decision yourself and you can look at their mile-long discography and uh check out uh, they really they're one of those bands that never hit a slump or put out a a bad album if you like what they're doing so deranged from sweden um with the upon the medical slab confessions continues please tom thank you Coming back in now, uh, Ian. I'm just gonna keep. I know. I know you. You got. You got plans. Uh, you know. We're gonna. We're gonna keep the podcast rolling for an hour and a half, right? And you. You got. You got Perfect. stuff you gotta do. But um, thank you for bringing that um, recommendo uh, to the table, man. We appreciate that crawl. At any time I can reference Czech Republic, Gore Grinder, Grind Corp. I'm a happy camper. Also, check out the first Malignant Tumor demo. More gore, grind, and death metal than the rest of the material. That's my little tip of the day. Um, but it's Memorial Day weekend. I'm going to get out there, man. I got some, I got like Ivy overtaking the uh, the garage. I got to get up there with hedge clippers and, and a, a scraper or something like that. It's like the Reeking Aura album came to life and cursed me this year. Um, I, I'm growing broccoli out there. I got to eat that eventually instead of stuff that's bad for me man i got a lot of big plans for this summer 
Um, just like you got plans for the rest of the day, Ian. So quickly though, um, we talked about one show before. I want to I want to pay it forward now. Uh, talk. I'm always talking about my shows, which by the way, Exsanguinated still on tour. You can go to our uh, social media and see where we're popping up now, man. We got uh, uh we're gonna be in Minnesota. We're gonna be in Iowa City. We're gonna be in Pittsburgh, all over the place in a city near you. So check out uh, Exsanguinated on social media. Look for our tour with Mutilate, Mutilatred, Morbid Visions, many others, man. A lot of we're gonna be performing with a lot of great bands coming up soon. Um. And if you got a uh, question, comment, or anything else, recommendo, hit us on heavyholepodcast at gmail.com or check for the voicemail number. Leave us a voicemail number. should be right in the description where you're listening to this. Uh, but speaking of paying it forward, just a couple other things you should still be able to catch in time if you're listening to this when the episode drops. I believe we're planning for this to, to drop June the 9th if every, we get everything right. You still have time to catch the homies in Gray Skies Fallen over there at the King's Land in Brooklyn, Mother of Graves and Soulshade uh, also playing this show. Um, uh, Grace Guy's Fallen, of course, members of uh, Reeking Aura, man, so the crew is still working out there. Now, what else we got? Sepultura and Creators Clash of the Titans tour with special guest Death Angel and Spirit World at the Palladium Times Square in New York City. Are you, you, you down with those bands? Definitely, definitely was a few years back. I would definitely go for some nostalgic moments there, I guess, you know, for sure. Some people are going to have a great old time at that show, and I hope they don't lose their denim vests, man. That's going yeah. to a good old yeah. time. There's still time for you to catch June 11, 2023 on Sunday, Hellwitch with Consumed with Hatred and Vermin Dog at St. Vitus. What about Hellwitch? Sisreal Cis- nah. Miscrency? Uh, I just not, gushed- like Not familiar myself. I should check them out. This is great because last episode, I... I um. The last episode I had Terrell co-host and we talked a little bit or an episode or two ago and we talked about Hell Witch's uh, uh, Sisreal uh, Miscreancy album, which is a beautiful death thrash album, technical, elaborate, impressive from back in the day. I'm not going to bore you with the details, Ian Coney's, but I'm just going to urge the listeners once more. You can go back and check. We played a sample of it that episode, but um, Hell Witch is a beautiful band that we got to get in touch with Pat from Hell Witch one day and get him on the program. Go check them out. They're on tour now playing that album um, in its entirety. Uh, you also got um, Caven and Yab are going to be at uh, Le Poison Rouge in Manhattan, New York City, Monday, June the 12th. Um, that's a good throwback for people from uh, back in the day. The next day, Yab is going to be with Paul Bear at Le Poison Rouge. That's a big show. It's probably already sold out. I don't know what I'm talking about it. I'm uh, I'm going to that one, actually. Uh, which one? one? Which one? The one with Paul Bear and Yab. So, so tell me about that, because I know that those are big bands who command respect, not necessarily my neighborhood of metal. Yeah, no, I actually really like uh, Paul Bear a lot, but um, they're funny, you know, because like I feel like they had their moment in the sun on like Decibel, where like every single fucking issue that came out in like whatever 2013, 2014 was like Paul Bear is is Arkansas the the hotspot of of doom in in modern times, and it's like nah, I I, I like their first two albums a lot. That's what it really comes down to. I mean, you know, kind of just like Sabbath worship, if I'm being honest, but uh, in a sincere way. Um, yeah, I don't know. If you don't know either of those two albums, check them out. Uh, Foundations of Sorrow, um, uh, I believe is one. I might be butchering the title on that, but, um, yeah, good. I like their tonality. Uh, they let the music do the talking. Um, and yeah, uh, also big Yob fan grown up, so. Fair enough, man. All right, enjoy yourself, man. Maybe we'll ask you about that when we get you back on, man. Um, also June the 25th, Emperor at King's Theater in Brooklyn, New York. I mean, that's kind of a big deal. Right there, Emperor back. Um, the uh, I I again, it's kind of like limits my my work schedule and my tour schedule limits my ability to go to shows. I'd love to catch that though, maybe. 
um, Flesh Rot, Grotesqueries, Anti Sapien, and the old boy Status over there at St. Vitus in Brooklyn on July 1st, uh, right before that 4th of July uh, um, uh, pops off. Uh, so 4th of July is Sunday. So then you so so Fourth of July is on a Tuesday. That works out good because a lot of people might be able to skip out of work on that Monday. You know what I'm saying? Just start the weekend off right, going to see Flesh Rock, Grotesqueries, Anti Sapien, and Thetis and Vitus. Yeah, that one actually is one I'm trying to get to myself. True, true, man. I see. We got Thursday, July the sixth. Um, right after your hangover is Cynic and Atheist at La Poison Rouge. Uh, over there in New York City. That's a good one right there. Same show going down Friday, July 7th in Baltimore, Maryland. Cynic and Atheist. How how are you on those bands? Yeah, saw Cynic. I'm trying to remember what year it was. And uh, they played... Uh, it's, I'm fucking up here. They played whichever album it was, the one with like that like butterfly look to it on the cover. You know what I'm talking about? Like the Mothman, whatever the fuck it is, an angel. Um, from their early shit. Um, and uh yeah they they played that like front to back it was a really long set list it was like like very long but it was a really cool time and it was when i was getting into death metal it was a long time ago now um early mid 2000s or something so um yeah i don't know it was a cool show i would definitely see him again but i think i i can't get out to that one myself i i might try if i can i've never caught either band live but here's my thing i'm also looking in here um between the Berry to Me, currently on tour, they're going to be at um, uh, Empire Live in Albany on June the 21st. They're going to be at Irving Plaza in New York City June the 20th. Look, I know there's a million wheels in motion. It's usually never up to the artist. There's managers and publicists and booking agents and venues and visas and all this shit. Like, the tours are crazy packs of wild-moving animals to book and promote. I'm not blaming anyone. I'm not hating all I'm saying is if you got Cynic and Atheist going on the road together, you got Between the Buried and Me touring, somebody that's a missed opportunity. This should have been a oh. big package tour with all three bands. That that would be absolutely... Because so many of the people that would be listening to Between the Buried and Me, I feel like, at least on the younger end, would not have an ear yet for Cynic or might be like, I've heard of them and I don't really know them. And I feel like they would go to that show and then be like, completely bought in on cynics music so that makes a lot of sense that would be a really cool show i also just looked it up so dumb of me man it's it's focused with the album it's the 93 album focus there's no fucking butterfly on this cover i just looked at it i think it was one of i'm having one of those like four shack test moments i'm like looking at like a blot of dots and i'm like oh i see a butterfly but yeah they played focus i think front to back the one time i saw them Fair enough, man. No one's going to blame you for thinking Butterflies were anywhere over a Cynic album cover, man. It's a very <laughs> progressive nature, uh, you know, namaste-style band. It's all good, man. I, I like that shit, man. I'm, I'm, I'm good with that shit. I personally, that's all. Like, look, again, I'm not trying to hate. I know that there's a lot of different wheels in motion when people book tours and all that shit, but playing armchair quarter, Monday morning quarterback here for the booking agents here, man, that Cynic atheist and between the buried and me on one gig throw kansas in there i might have to i might i might have to move in um <laughs> but that's a whole nother story man uh, uh so so that that's it man just want to tell you about a couple of shows coming up man people you know there's people who message me and email me behind the scenes listeners of the show friends of mine from bands they're visiting new york 
where should I go, Will? What's going on in New York City? I'm going to be over there in a month. And I always t- tell people, please check out uh, nycmetalscene.com. nycmetalscene.com is a comprehensive listing of all the shows coming up in the New York City area and beyond, up and down the East Coast in New England, too, sometimes. Um, and so, so definitely check that out. That's where we get these show listings from. And shout out to Matt, always holding it down over there at nycmetalscene.com. So besides that, um, I think we did everything. B- big thanks to Mark from Sugar. Sugar Tooth, please make sure you go check out and, and support that new Sugar Tooth album that dropped. Beautiful rock and roll music for wonderful people. Uh, Ian, thank you so much for riding out with me and for your recommendations and for your valid opinions today, sir. Thank you, as always. I'm here for it anytime. So, okay, man. And we're gonna uh, again. We got we got Heavy Hole Podcast on Patreon. We got bonus episodes coming up. We got many stored up there in the past. Tough guy, shout out to our Patreon people. Uh, I'm going to be better to you this year, I promise. Um, <laughs> follow Heavy Hole Podcast on social media. Uh, we're on all the social medias that count out there. Um, exsanguinated out there on social media, touring right now as we speak in June all across the United States of America. Um, Replicant and False Gods uh, on tour with Reeking Aura this July, coming to an area somewhere around you between New York and Philly. We're going to New Jersey. We're going to Middletown, New York. Going to Ardmore, Pennsylvania, and Long Island. Then in August... Uh, we're going to be out there supporting Pyrexia, Atoll, and Cerebral Incubation with Reeking Aura. Reeking Aura is going to be traveling all up and down the East Coast uh, to the Carolinas, three dates in Florida and back, Virginia, all up and down uh, New Jersey, whatever you want, tough guy, with Pyrexia, Atoll, Cerebral Incubation, uh, Reeking Aura. Check us out on social media for more information about all those tours. Um, and right now we're going to wrap it up, man. We went for... Uh, but however we went for, man, we're going to tell Ian's family that we added uh, an hour. We added one. Please. Thank you. Please and thank you. <laughs>